All right. We're in Matthew 19 this week. And uh, so if you look in your Bible, you look at Matthew 19, and there's a subheading above Matthew 19. And every once in a while, I get uh, email advertisements or I get advertisements in the mail, and they're like, oh, it's a new kind of Bible. This Bible doesn't have any chapter and verse numbers. So you can just read the Bible straight through. And I look at a sample of it and I'm like, oh, that's just hard. That's just hard to read. It's like, it's like when I get a text with my wife, from my wife that she voice typed. And so she talks and there's no periods in it. And it's like this big, long... Blah, 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 blah. That's what those Bibles look like. So then all of a sudden I'm thankful for the heading because I needed to break it up. But... I want you to take your pen and just scribble that out. No, don't. Um, it's also good to ignore those headings because they can be, they, they, they're kind of misleading. Um, and so I don't want us to read this whole section of Matthew 19 as what the heading says, Jesus teaching on divorce, because that totally... Um, it's, it's like it takes the ketchup, lettuce, tomato, pickle, onion off of the hamburger. And it just slaps us with a patty and not even a buttered bun. Um, there's so much more going on in here than just Jesus' teaching on divorce. There it is. And I hope, I hope we can see. I hope we can get all of that out. of. I hope we can get the lettuce, tomato, pickle, onion out of it today. Because there is a lot more to this. So, Matthew 19. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, all of Matthew like 16, 17, 18, he went away from Galilee. He had entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So he's still doing all these miraculous healings. He's still doing all these teachings. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him. They tested him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So that question right there, we read that and we think the Pharisees want to know, can, with, without any context, is it okay to get a divorce for no reason? Well, what was happening in that day, at that time, for a span of about 50 years, and some people are still having this controversy, there were two rabbis. And these two rabbis had differing views about divorce. And everybody that cared about that topic wanted to know who fell into that topic so that they could know, are you on my side or are you on the other side? It's a lot like, remember when all the Left Behind books came out and everybody was talking about the rapture and there's all this controversy. Do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or do you believe in a post-tribulation rapture? And I remember I was, I was running a Bible study of like, uh, there's, uh, I was not running it. I was one of the leaders. There's like a hundred of us and we would get somebody and they would come to it for the first time. And they would say, they'd sit through a night, awesome worship, great teaching, good prayer. And at the end, they would come up to one of us and they would say, do you guys believe in a pre-trib 
rapture or a post-trib rapture? And we'd be like, well, uh, yeah, well, yeah, uh, I mean, some, I mean, we, uh, and they would leave because we didn't take a stand as a Bible study on that topic, on that, it, on that disputable issue. Okay. So that was a, are you with me or are you against me? Which side are you on? Are you, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Are you a modern day fan or are you a rights fan? Right? That is what kind of question this is. Can you divorce? Because there's one rabbi that taught, you cannot divorce your wife for any reason at all except for marital infidelity. The other rabbi taught... I think I talked about this before. You can divorce your wife if she burns your breakfast. If that bacon is too crispy, out of here. She wouldn't make bacon. I mean, if she made bacon, she'd be out of there already because it's unclean. But if she burned your... No, not your soft. If she burned your steak and eggs, you can get a divorce. And so what a lot of guys that went... With the burn your steak and eggs, get a divorce, they would marry their sweet, smoking hot wife, get older, accuse her of burning their breakfast, and then they would marry another young, smoking hot wife. And it was, they could divorce her for any reason, even if she burns your breakfast. And they, they would just basically do adultery and have multiple wives, but do the paperwork for it, right? So when they asked Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They're asking him, are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you uh, modern day or rights? Are you divorced for any reason like burnt breakfast or stay married for any reason at all except for unfaithfulness. And so Jesus, remember the woman at the well? When Jesus, the woman at the well came, she had all these theological questions for Jesus. And he always answered them with crazy answers that diverted her little division thing. You know, should we pray on this mountain or should we pray on that mountain? Jesus, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? He said, haven't you read? Which I love that. Every time Jesus says that, he is totally poking those guys. Haven't you ever been to church before? Haven't you read the Bible? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. He points these guys who are trying to have a controversy to the whole point of God. This is what God is. This is how much God, God is trying to show this amazing unity of marriage and this amazing um, thing that we need other people. That, that we weren't, you know, the first thing that God said wasn't good in the whole Bible. It's not good for man to be alone. There's something really, really, really important about that. And Jesus is trying to draw them back. So he's addressing, he's really addressing the guys that are divorcing their wife 
because she burned the stake so they could marry a, a cute young lady. He's like, the whole point of marriage isn't for you to be happy and get everything you desire. It's to show God what God thinks is good, that people be together. So then they argue with him. Well, then why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? If God made it so we're not ever supposed to get divorced, then why did Moses allow it? And they're trying to excuse themselves and make it okay. He said, because your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then Jesus picks a side. Oh, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So remember, this is in the context of all of his other teaching. Okay? So he is bringing it back to the point of God. This is how God wants it to be. This is how God designed it. This is why God designed it this way. That they would be just like one person. That that two people could be like one person. Like the Trinity could be like one God and be one God. Well, you know how when people criticize you or they complain about somebody else, they really say more about themselves than they are saying about the person they're complaining about? The disciples say more about themselves in their response than they do about this teaching on marriage. Because their reply is, If this is the case of a man and his wife, it's better to not get married. Think about what they're saying right there. If I can't get divorced unless my wife commits adultery, then it's better to not be married at all. They all want to get divorced. They all want to get divorced for other reasons. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that, if you, if you really break down what they're saying, if you can't get a divorce for any reason at all, and only if your wife's unfaithful, then it would be better to just not be married. That's what they're saying. So then Jesus says to them, not everyone can receive this, you guys. This isn't, not everybody can handle this. Only those to whom it's given. Who's he, who, who are you depending on for this? Who's, it, who's giving it, right? God's giving it. God is giving you the power to do it. If you're trying to do it yourself, you're going to have a hard time. you got to depend on God. you got to rely on God. Then he talks about eunuchs. There are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So this is talking about there are people that there are men that can't have kids. Some are born unable to have kids. Some it was a custom then and it happened. It probably happened to Daniel, the prophet, where they cut stuff up. And so you can't have kids. And then this some for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So some people read this and they read this as it is more honorable to be to not have kids. It's more honorable for the sake of the kingdom of heaven to be a eunuch for the Lord, basically. And 
That is not what Jesus is saying. All of this, all this whole marriage thing, if this was all we had, you would, you would have a pretty mixed up view of marriage and divorce and singleness and living for the Lord. But you have to remember, we have a whole Bible. We have 66 books. We don't just have this. So let's look at other things and let's, let's watch them influence each other, okay? So, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage. And he's talking about how um, different people have different gifts and calling from the Lord. And different people walk out their life in the Lord in different ways. And he's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. I say this as a concession, not a command. So he's first of all saying, look, I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm telling you, here's a way to handle your problems. I wish that everybody was like me, but everybody has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of the other. He's talking about being single. He's talking about not being married and not having any kids. And he says, I wish that everybody was like me, but that's not for everybody. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's great for you to remain single like me. But if you can't, you should get married. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. He basically says, marriage or not marriage, that's not the issue. It's what are you struggling with? And, and he goes on in that whole section to talk about if you struggle really bad being single, get married. But he doesn't say if you're married and you struggle, get a divorce. Isn't that interesting how that works that way? But it's all still leaning back on the Lord. The Lord is the point. So jumping back into the context of Jesus talking, there's, there's other scriptures about marriage. There's places where um, there's instructions about if you have an unbelieving husband and a believing wife, vice versa. And still, it's all about the Lord. It's not about, I really want to be married to this person now, so I'm going to accuse my wife of burning my steak. Whee! That, that's not following the Lord. That's not leaning on the Lord, right? So you have this whole idea. The disciples are confused. It's better to not even get married if I have to be stuck with her and I can't divorce her because they all want to divorce. But then how are kids going to happen? Oh, well, Jesus must not like kids because if it's honorable to be single and for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, many are becoming eunuchs. And that's just like, I love the kingdom of heaven more than anything. I'm going to do that. The very next thing that happens. Matthew 19, 13. Children were brought to him. So he could lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. Hey, you people, don't bring these kids here. You just heard Jesus said it's more honorable to be a eunuch and not have kids. He must not like him. He must not like kids, right? They've totally misunderstood the whole thing. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he lays his hands on them and he prays for them and he leaves. So whatever twisted 
teaching and culture and all of that that exalts denying myself for the Lord and I'm not going to have kids or I'm not going to get married. That can be a, an individual's choice, but it's not any more holy than the people that are going to get married at 16 and have 24 kids if they feel led by the Lord to do that. I don't know. I was trying to go for extremes there, right? We can't just write off something as a law that's more holy than something else. The other thing that's awesome about this whole section that it does kind of change, but we have to address it, right? Is somewhere, it doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible, but somewhere the church, in church history, they read this stuff about the only reason that people should get divorced and is it should it be over burnt steak or marital infidelity. And that's the only reason to make it like this unforgivable sin to be divorced. That is just hopeless from there on. I know that there are churches. I know churches that um, there have been awesome people leading the churches and leading the charge and doing different things. And they found out the person got divorced when they were 21. And they said, you can't be an elder. You can't be in leadership. You can't be in charge of anything at our church. And the guy's like 65. He's like, that was, I've been married to my wife for 40 years. Been married to my second wife for 40 years. And they're like, oh, nope. You got divorced once. Ow. And it's just like, it's like, it's like the church doesn't know what to do with, with divorce. And, um, and that, that's just, that's just totally messed up. I have a a mentor guy, really awesome. And he, um, he's passed away now, but he was, he was a superstar. He played in the NBA and he had, he got married young to this lady that loved all the fame of her husband being in the NBA. And he went out one night and started talking to this guy and, went to a church and they had an altar call and he got saved and he was just, he was moved and he just loved the Lord. And it was like, wow. And he came home and he's excited. And he says to his wife, I got saved. And she said, I always promised myself I would never be married to a Christian. And she packed up all of her stuff and she walked right out the door that night. She didn't even go to bed that night in her house. Never came back. That happened when he was like, I don't know, 24, right? Young guy. How many of us, maybe nobody, maybe it's only me. How many of us committed a sin when we were 22? Like, think over that year. Did I commit any sins that year? Did Jesus die for all my sins? Did he die for the sins that I committed when I was 22? Now, are there real world implications for what happened when I was 22? Right? Do I, I mean, are there, is there retribution in this life with law and order or? Student debt or whatever? Yes. 
But did Jesus forgive that? Yes, he did. He actually forgave the, the, the sin that I committed. Let's see. Hold on. I got to think of what year that would be. Uh, 74. 96. I was 22 in 96. The sin I committed in 1996, Jesus paid for in 30. It was forgiven in 30. And so as we work with people and we talk to people that are Christians and that believe that Jesus died for their sins, we can't hold against them what happened to them. We need to hold what they did. We need to hold against them what happened to them, which is their sins were forgiven. And it seems like in the church there is no, um, I mean, probably, you know, sexual infidelity and, and all that stuff is probably ranks higher, but not much from divorce as not forgiving people and not just holding it on them. And we got to get over that. So. Public service statement aside. Rants aside. So remember I said, don't use the heading. This heading isn't Jesus' teaching about divorce. This is Jesus' teaching. This whole section is Jesus' teaching on depending on God for your whole life. Making God the point and the the source and the the powerhouse of your whole life. Because the next thing that happens... Is Matthew 19, 16. A man comes up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Like, just let me check it off my list. Let me get the eternal life and be done. Jesus confronts him. Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. Jesus actually kind of diverting himself from being good in this. He's, he's saying, I wouldn't even be good if I didn't depend on the Father for everything. Think about how mind-blowing that is for a minute. That Jesus himself has to depend on the Father to be good. Because he's fully man. He's fully flesh. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus basically says, all right, if you want to do it, obey all 613 commandments. Good luck. God bless you. And the guy says, which ones? Surely you don't mean all 613, Jesus. Which one? Can I just check it off? This is kind of the same test that the Pharisees had. Of For what reason can a guy get a divorce? Because if you can get that right, in the, in the example of my guy that came and wanted to know if we were pre-trib or post-trib, pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture, for him, if you got that one thing right, then you had eternal life. If you got that one deal, we're, I was talking to a guy this week, we were talking about uh, Genesis and creation. And did it really happen in seven days or were those seven days really long, you know, millions of years and all that? And we came to this awesome conclusion that you can hold on to Genesis 1 so tight and so hard with such aggression that you void out all the rest of the Bible. That you 
can cease to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can cease to hate, love your enemies just because you hold on to Genesis 1 so tight. That's what this guy's doing. Which law? Which one? Obey the law. Okay, which one? And I'll do that one and I'll check it off and I'll enter eternal life. So Jesus gives him a list. Okay, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and don't bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. Love your neighbor as yourself. Awesome. The guy is happy. All these I have kept. What do I lack? Again, this guy says more about himself than he does about Jesus. He is still lacking something. This, every, every person, every one of us, when we live by a set of rules, when we live by a law that we're trying to check off and do right and wrong, and I made the right decision, and I did this right, and I was right here, and I was right, and I was right, and I was right, and I did the right thing. You can do all of that and still be lacking. You can do all that and still have an absolutely empty soul. Because Jesus wants us to live in Him. Remember the, in the Garden of Eden, there's a tree, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then over here is the tree of life. And God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat from the tree of life. There's a lot of times we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we think we're doing right because we're eating from the good side. I'm, I'm just eating from the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus. Isn't that okay? No. You're supposed to go to Jesus for life. You're still eating from the wrong tree with your law and, and rules. And that's what this guy is. I've only eaten from the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've kept every law. I'm such a good person. What do I lack? Then Jesus says something that's not written anywhere in the law. It's none of the 613 laws. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it all to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was so rich. He loved to do all the right things. And honestly, he had the money to do the right things. Right? If you have a whole lot of money, it's easy to follow the law. Uh, I don't have to, you know... um, If I only have to eat a certain kind of food and obey the law, but I'm loaded, I can buy that food anywhere I want. And it's easy. I saw um, some homeless people this morning and I was just watching them and and thinking through how they, I was watching how they were dealing with the pandemic and how they were dealing with mask things. And this lady took her mask off, took a hit off her cigarette Coughed and hacked a whole bunch and then put her mask back on. And I was like, gosh, that would be a real problem. If all you had for breakfast was a cigarette, but you have to wear a mask, but you have to go to work, but you can't get to work unless you wear a mask because you can't get on the bus. And it was like she was doing everything wrong, right? But 
I don't know that she had the money to even know how to do everything right. I don't, I don't even know. I just, I can only imagine how hard, how many levels of hard it would, and her mask, she had one of those disposable masks and the thing was just ratty and just funky. Um, it's just hard. So of course this guy's rich. It's easy for him to obey all these laws. It's really hard for poor people to obey all the laws. So he goes away sorrowful. He had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. This guy was rich and he loved obeying the laws, but he had all this wealth. And when it finally came down to, I want eternal life. What do I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus says, give up all your money. He's like, well, I'm sad because I really love my money more than I want eternal life. This takes us to a really awesome concept about God and how he works through the scripture. And and we need to view it through this lens. There's a lot of times people think God takes stuff from us and we have to give stuff up. Everywhere in Scripture, when that kind of a concept happens, it's an exchange. It's not God taking stuff. It's God exchanging stuff. Everywhere that God asks for something of the Old Testament prophets, of of David, of Moses, even with Jesus and some of the things where he is being tempted in the wilderness and and talking to the disciples. Every time God asks for something, He promises to give us something better. Every time. Always. So, have any of you guys ever bought anything? When you buy something, unless... Well, no, even then. When it's the kid on the corner with the lemonade stand and he's selling lemonade, this, this is classic Tim Sullivan. My dad always did this. Kid on the lemonade stand and it's a nickel for a glass of lemonade. My dad hands me a 20 and he says, go get us some lemonade. I'm like, how much lemonade do you want? And I remember asking him, how much do you want? And he said, just one for you and one for me and tell him to keep the change. So I go and I give the kid, I say, I want two lemonades. And I'm holding on to that 20. I'm like, my dad doesn't give me 20 bucks. I'm holding on to it. And the kid gives me two little lemonade cups. I mean, they're, you know, they're a nickel. And I hand the kid the money and I say, keep the change. The kid's like, wow. So my dad thought it was worth 20 bucks. It was worth more than 20 bucks to give that kid 20 bucks and maybe to teach me to be generous. That was worth more than $20. So when he gave that $20, he was getting more back. When I buy a gas station corn dog for $1.59, that gas station corn dog is worth more to me than $1.59. So I pay the $1.59 because I think I'm getting more. I'm getting even more value back. So Levi can chomp on a big old corn dog and think he's at the fall festival. 
When God asks us to give Him something, it's never Him taking away. It's always an exchange. He is always offering us more than what we're giving Him. He, he is, is always a better deal. So Jesus says to His disciples, it's only with difficulty a rich person can enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because all your riches and all your stuff you can see. And the kingdom of heaven you can't see. You can experience it. You can feel it sometimes. But it's not as clear as my awesome whatever I have, right? My iPhone and my iPad and my stuff. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there's a whole teaching for a while that this was a door on the thing and you had to take unload your camel to get through it. I'm going to throw that out because look at how the disciples reacted. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? They've been traveling with Jesus for at least a year. They've seen him heal all these people. They have all followed him. And he says it's easier for, some, for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a camel. The camel. The needle to go through the eye of a camel. The camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. And they're, they're hopeless suddenly. Which is awesome because they consider themselves rich. They must have considered themselves rich because they're so astonished. How can, who can be saved? Remember the whole teaching on marriage and divorce and all that? How Jesus kept pointing them back to depend on God. Depend on God. Trust in God. The answer here is the same thing. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. With man it is impossible to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. Peter still doesn't get it a little bit. Come on, Jesus. We left everything to follow you. What then will we have? We've left everything. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So let's say you're Peter. And you have this little moment of, what are we going to get? I left my boats. I left my house. My wife's at home with the sick mother-in-law that you just healed, but she's still doing okay. What do I get? And Jesus says, oh yeah, Peter, you're going to sit on a throne in heaven judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't think Peter, I, I think Jesus didn't tell him all of that. Because they were not ready for that, right? They're still arguing about who's the best. And to reveal to them the truth that you're going to sit on a throne and the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Manasseh is going to come before you, Peter, and you are going to judge them, that is just absolutely mind-blowing. But he lets them know. You've given up a whole bunch of stuff, Peter. Everything's in exchange with me. And just to let you know, you're going to sit on a throne in heaven judging the tribes of Jacob. Wow. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands. So he leaves this whole list will receive a hundredfold and will inherit an eternal life. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this one extra weird word in there. Wife is on the list in Luke. Whoever leaves houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or wife for me and my namesake, So now all of a sudden, if this is a teaching on divorce, this whole section totally contradicts itself. Because that doesn't make any sense at all. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? He's talking about trusting in God, following God, leaning on God. All of these, there's other places in the scripture, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, where... Paul says, if you don't take care of your family, your religion is worthless. So you've got to reconcile that with anybody that leaves their children or their land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. The whole point of all of this is that we depend on God for our worth, for our identity, for who we are, for our status. So this rich guy that had all this wealth, he was depending on that wealth for his status. What, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? Because obviously God likes me because I'm rich. He was using his riches as an idol to show that God loved him, and he wasn't going to give that up. So there we are, sitting in our living room. And Cindy is nursing Isaac, and she finds this pamphlet that says 10 reasons, 10 excuses to not go into the mission field. 10 excuses to not go into the mission field. And she starts reading through it. And it's 10 excuses that people give that they shouldn't be missionaries. And then scripture that blows it out of the water. Okay. So she reads through, she gets to the one that says, I have to stay home and witness to my family. I have to stay and be a witness to my family. And it has the scriptures where Jesus says this part. Anybody that leaves all this will inherit. It says, let the dead bury the dead. Do you know there are people in my family and in her family that never stepped foot in a church building their whole lives until we said we're leaving for Central Asia to go be missionaries? We had told them about Jesus. We had told them about the Bible. But it took us leaving to get them to start going to church. Because that was where they would hear about how we were doing. Isn't that hilarious? That actually brought them to church. The most they've been to church in their whole lives. That two years that we were gone, people attended church. And then we came back and they didn't go to church anymore. I think that's what he's talking about. It's not, come on, everybody, leave your wife, leave your brothers and sisters, leave your father and mother. It's if any of these things are an idol keeping you from following God, you got to leave it. You got to get away from it. You get, James would say, flee the devil. 
It's not, it's not the brothers or sisters or father or mother. It's not that they're evil and they're holding you back from following God. It's what you have made them into that they would be more important than God is. The rich young ruler, this rich guy, his money that Jesus wants everything sold and given to the poor, that money's not evil. If it was evil, Jesus wouldn't want the poor people to have it. It's what that young man, the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. It's what that young man made it into. He made it into an idol. So, one more story. My wife and I, we have a really good relationship about this. And there's times where I know she has an opportunity to serve the Lord and I could hinder her. I could prevent her from doing it. And I need to get out of the way and let her go serve the Lord. There's times where I see an opportunity to serve the Lord and I I share it with her and she recognizes she could be a hindrance. She could block that. And she needs to step away and let me go do it. And it's almost like, I mean, we all know it's all over the news about once a year, right? Some high level Christian person blows up and their marriage falls apart and it's a train wreck and it's awful. That Jesus already died for and forgave, by the way, if I can add that. There's a way to communicate and a way to do these things. That's righteous and holy and good and awesome. And it's all depending on Jesus. It's all just what Jesus said. Depend on the Lord. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then the very last thing he says, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is referring all the way back to the beginning of all of this. Of Remember when there were all kinds of people coming to Jesus and the disciples are pushing some people away and the Pharisees are like, who do you believe this or do you believe that? Who are you? Are you mites or mites or broader day? I'm flipping my words all over today, aren't I? Are you rights or modern day? What side? Jesus is saying there's going to be a whole bunch of people that y'all think are going to be last. And they get to sit front row in heaven. And there's a whole bunch that everybody thinks is going to be in the front row of heaven that's going to be waiting outside maybe forever. All these, this whole, all Matthew 19 is a big judgment game of who's more holy, the single people or the married people or the divorced people. Well, we all know the divorced people aren't, so let's throw them out. And. Jesus wraps it all up with many who are first. A lot of the people that y'all have judged, he's telling this whole crowd and the disciples, because remember the disciples are like, it'd better be better off not get married. A lot of people that we think that we think and we judge as lost or at the end of the line are going to be in the front row. And that all of a sudden, that kind of thinking totally transforms me. Because then when I see that poor lady taking her mask off so she can do her cigarette, I don't judge her because Jesus said a lot that will be last will be first and the first will be last. And that lady is doing, she is struggling through all kinds of stuff just to 
make it through her day. And here I am. I got my thermostat controlled AC and I got, you know, for a dollar I got an extra bacon cheese biscuit thing and and it's easy for me. So all of a sudden, this last will be first, first will be last makes you reconfigure how you judge people and and how you approach people and how you talk to people and how you interact. Because I might have to ask her, you know, scoot over, I can't see Jesus. Can you sit down? I know I'm behind you, five rows, but, right? Wouldn't it? It's not going to be like that. We're all going to be in Jesus, but uh, it's, a, it's a wild thought experiment anyway. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that the first will be last and the last will be first. That our judgments are not your judgments. That our ways are not your ways. Lord, I pray that you would bless your church and the uh, decades of just really doing a bad job of figuring out what to do about divorce. I pray that you would bless your kingdom, Lord, and bless your people. I pray that you bless us and help us to depend on you, to depend on you in every relationship we have as we seek you out with whether it's riches, whether it's money, whether it's uh, friendships or houses or lands or whatever in that whole list. We don't want anything to be between us and you, Jesus. We want to run after you and depend on you. Nothing is impossible with you, God. We trust you to work these things in us. Amen. All right. Let's sing number 398 together.